clown. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, I'm Canadian Beer by Joe Naylor from 1980 on the Friends Hot Wax record label. Joe Naylor, former CITR DJ, in fact, this release was actually recorded at CITR Radio in Vancouver, Canada. And thank you very much, Joe, for giving me this 7-inch single when we had the CITR switchover of studios a couple weeks ago. There we have it. I'm Canadian Beer, backed with I Hate Fluorescent Lights, which we might hear a bit later on in our Eduardo Human Serviette Radio Show, by Joe Naylor. Today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview from 1997 with Propagandi from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Propagandi, today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. And to prepare you for Propagandi from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, thought I'd play something by the dangerously Americanized Canadians from 1987. And then... An interview with Propagandi on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Living in a 
But you were saying, Chris, so, like, what the hell am I doing? Get with the Red Fisher tip. Like, get with yeah. the Red Fisher tip. Did they, were they always called Red Fisher? No, like, no you, you said you were down with Winnipeg Rock, you told me on the phone. I was, I've heard of Winnipeg. And you didn't even know who Red Fisher were. No, and you I didn't know, and you didn't know who Johnny Sizzle was. No, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. Wait a second. I'm grabbing the mic. You should be peed on. Okay, no, hold on here, hold on. I said to you, though, I had the Red Fisher CD in the little plastic case. Did I not? I was honest there. You did say that. And I have heard it, but I, before, okay, before we move on to um, that, that a second, Red Fisher, um, what, were they always called Red Fisher? Uh, yeah, except at Flip the Blackard, where they're called Wed Fisher. Okay, um, so the story, what's, okay, you had something to say there, Todd, yes. You don't even know who your long-lost brother Johnny Sizzle is? Well, no, before we move on to Johnny Sizzle, which is very exciting for me, that, what is the importance of Red Fisher? I know they have, they have the house that all the bands play at, they were, that you fight at. You fight with a lot of Vancouver bands, don't you, Chris? How did you know about that? Well, did you, what band was that that you fought with? Gob. Was it Gob you fought with? I'm just making that up. Oh, okay. But um, Chris, what is the importance of Red Fisher? Can you please like they have a, they have a base? Please, I mean, teach the people, they're, teach me. They're Winnipeg stalwarts, as Stephen Austic put it. They're Winnipeg stalwarts of the hardcore scene. Are they still going? No, they're gone. They're gone. They're done. Um, okay, but they still they have a house that they did gigs at, right? They did, but they started to suck and they broke up. But it's an important. The shows started yeah, to suck. Red Fisher got better and better. Did they put on many Christian all-age straight-edge type gigs at their house at all, Jordan? Uh, you get the wrong. I know what you're getting at. It's next door. It's there, is, there is a big Christian straight edge scene in Winnipeg, isn't there? It's burgeoning. I wouldn't call it big. I love that word burgeoning. Yeah, it's not big, but uh, it can easily be pummeled out of existence. Like I said Satan and the Demon, which I thought was you know a sixty or a sixties band out of Winnipeg, a Winnipeg sixties garage band. Now who? Now you guys hey, said. So you guys said. I said Dual Tang. You said screw it, Red Fisher. I say Satan and the Demon. You say you're sending me straight with. Johnny Sizzle. Now, who is he, Todd, of Propagandy? Well, first, he's your long-lost brother, and it's funny that you would allude to Satan, since he had a song called Satan Was My Lover. <laughs> okay, now, a bit more historical perspective here. Who is he? Like, who is this guy? He used to have a VPW show. You got cable access here? Yes, we do. And he used to do a show there called Johnny Sizzle, and it was terrible. Just terrible. But it was, yeah, it was terrible, but awesome. And he used to have local bands on, and he had me and Jordan on once, and it was the worst experience of our lives. <laughs> is he an older guy? Like, what is he? Uh, I think he's 18 going on 50. So I was hoping that this was some 60s relic guy, but it isn't. You're, you just say Johnny Sizzle is the guy. He's an 80s thing. No, Jordan, uh, Jordan, is it Jordan or George? What you prefer? Whatever, whatever. George, Jordan, George. Um, I say personality crisis, you say? Uh, stretch marks, I guess. First band I ever saw. I say Ruggedy Ann's, you say, Todd? Stephanie Moore. <laughs> Why'd you say that? Who's that? Her sister's in the band, and uh, I don't think Stephanie likes them too much, though. So. Jordan mentioned the stretch marks. Um, when, you, when I say stretch marks, you say... Well, first band I ever saw, too, and also Jordan's most prominent body feature. Did you like them? Were they good? No, it actually sucked. They played ACDC covers, and I had to leave early, and I hated it. it what year was that about? 85. Uh, it was so fun being intimidated for the first time at a punk rock show. It just kind of kept going on for... 12 years and counting. <laughs> I say dangerously Americanized Canadians, and you say... I say fucking Luke Swain rocks. That's the best band that ever came out of Winnipeg in the late 80s besides Artificial Life. And Corpus Vile. This guy used to be in Corpus Vile, by the way. Do you remember Corpus Vile? No, I don't. Uh, wh what, what the fuck are you doing? I'm sorry. Okay, dangerously Americanized Canadians, but they had a 7-inch, though, didn't yeah. they? they had some, but what about, what about Derek's band? They had a fucking record on Fringe. Corpus Vile, what does it take? Really? So, dangerously Americanized Canadians, what happened to them? Uh, Luke... 
I think, took too many steroids and his head blew up. Corpus Vile, we're speaking here to Propagandy, giving us a history lesson in the history of Winnipeg, P-Rock, kind of, here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and this is rock and roll band Propagandy. Now, I say guess who, you say? Uh, I say great renditions of the Canadian anthem at the Winnipeg Arena. But, re really? Yeah. What year did you see this? Uh, a couple years ago, Burton's Coming did fucking <laughs> some great renditions, made me, uh, I don't know, Swallow a couple tears out looking at that great uh, picture of the Queen from 1960. Where do you guys record, Chris? Where does Propagandy record? Because Greg, isn't Greg Lescu, isn't a guy called Greg Lescu from the Guess Who? Yeah. He has a studio, doesn't he? Yeah, he so you could theoretically record with the Guess Who. Yeah, but he's terrible. He's the worst guy to do any engineering in Western Canada, by far. Terrible. Him and John Sutton. Terrible. <laughs> Seriously. So where do you record? Anywhere but Winnipeg. Like where? No, I'm just curious. Where have you? Where have you? Actually, we did one thing in Winnipeg with this guy, Chris Brett from Ambiance. This guy's got the craziest frosted hair and the funniest <laughs> nostril I've ever seen in my life. But we usually go to the states because it's, uh, you know, it's a bit better. Where in the states do you record? Is it West Beach no, or we not? Went, we went there once, but the guy Donald Cameron. I, I don't want to start with that guy. But we went up to uh, San Francisco for the last one. Razor's Edge, Motor Studios, Ryan Green looks like the guy from Mask. I say the band Unwanted. You say. Uh. He's in Ditch Pig. I thought there was one guy from Crash Test Dummies was in it, Unwanted. Uh, not that I know of. Some punk band. I was really hoping for that, Jordan, that the Crash Test Dummies would be in Unwanted, the Unwanted. You know, uh, Moe Berg was in a punk band. I was hoping that Crash Test Dummies had been in the Unwanted. I don't know, but I used to play with uh, the guitar player of the Crash Test Dummies now in a, in a 50s, 60s, 70s band that used to play at all the legions and army and navies in Port au Prairie on a weekly basis. Yeah, it was, that was pretty interesting. And, Educational. Hey, maybe you can do a festival double bill together, because I know Propagandy are big in Europe, Y-U-R-P. Propagandy are big in Europe, Y-U-R-P, as John Yates of Allied Recordings would say. Right, Todd, from iSpy? Right. So, Todd, you are iSpy. Uh, yes, me and uh, Jimmy the Juice Pig and a couple others. I say the band Something Evil, and you say... I say Lance McKenzie. Yeah, who were they? They had a song called Winnipeg Riot Song, didn't they? I don't remember that, but uh, they were like one of the earlier bands. Now, what was the first gig that you actually went to? What was your first gig? I didn't actually ask that, Chris. What was the I, first gig I, that you went to? I was with Jordan, the Stretch Mark Show. We saw Followers and Slaves and Silent Asylum at the same time. And Todd, what about you? What was your first gig? What turned you on? Like, what, what brought you to, to, to punk? Uh, Gang Green, I guess, was my first punk show. Were there many bands that passed through, many American bands that passed through Winnipeg? Because a lot of bands, like in, in the Eastern... Ca Regina. I was in uh, Pile of Bones, as it was called at that time. You were in Regina, and Gang Green came through there. Yes. Did many bands pass through? Like, didn't the Mentors come through Winnipeg, yeah. and they were banned a long yeah, time ago? I was at Metallica the night before, and there was a riot the next night, and they smoked cash from their hotel room watching the whole riot and the protest. So uh, what, if, what would you say if I say Sunfest, what year? Um, I, I would, I don't know, I just want to say I want to take a silver one holiday or something like that. I want to think, I want, when I think, when you say Sunfest, when you say Sunfest, Todd of Propagandy, what I think of is, I think of that gig that they have in Winnipeg on a big mound. Isn't there a big gig on a big mound? Uh, yeah, Corefest. Yeah, Corefest, that's what I, that's, that's what I say. I'm talking the evaporate. Oh, no, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, um, yeah. So anyways, Chris, I'm talking about, um, uh, like, the, uh, this, you know, Poway, California, Jordan. Poway, California, I see, you know, Propagandy. Then I'm going to Sky's house in Portland. I see Propagandy. Then I hear, so Propagandy just got back from Europe with $7,000 U.S. each, and even that's report to Revenue Canada. Wrong. 
And thanks for fucking blowing it for us. Now we do have to report to Revenue Canada, you fuckwad. Well, um, SNF, you got back, and they also had that, too, and there were five people in the band, so they probably earned more money than you. Ha 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 They probably did. What are you doing? But um, were you the first punk band from Winnipeg to get to Europe since the Guess Who? I don't know. I don't know if Personality Crisis were there or if Stretch Marks went over there. Probably did they. I don't know. But did you see we're did you see we're blazing way like this blazing way for new bands like like here you are propaganda like you know yeah. you we blazed the way for painted it thin. But when do you think though was your first indication? Baboom! When do you think your first indication was that you guys were going to be popular? Like when your records first came out and stuff. What was the first indication? Was there any? I mean, come on, like you know, like like you know, like I mean, not to say you are popular, but sorry, but I mean, I am hearing about you guys, and like I want, you know, I want to understand, I want to learn. Thank you. But I mean, like, when was the first indication at that? When I saw our first record cover um, come back from uh, from Fat Mike having that great artist redo our record cover for How to Clean Everything, I knew right then we're going to be huge. That record cover, you know, it's like H.R. Geiger stuff, you know? I love art. It's really tasty when it's good art and covers like that. But Jordan, what, well, yeah, sorry, Todd. Todd, yes, Todd. What made me really, uh, really start enjoying music was I saw this band, The Evaporators, in Calgary at this uh, festival. And uh, the keyboard player was really good looking and uh, somehow ended up having my friend Richard carry him around, uh, around the field a little bit. Oh great! Thank you for that little vignette there. But Jordan, when did you first? Okay, no, you, no, you, no, you, you, you haven't, no, you haven't always been in the band, have you? You've not always been in Propaganda. No. So what did you first think when you first saw Propaganda? Like, what was your first indication that these guys met your friends? Were they friends? Were they friends back then? I didn't know him really. I thought he was a weird guy with dreads who sat outside the record stores all day. So what was your first indication that stuff was happening? Well, Johnny, uh, I don't know. I just thought they had. This spark, something going for him, you know, like. Jordan, how about you? Like, what? I mean, seriously, what was the first indication that maybe this record is gonna? Because you didn't do a lot of, t did you do a lot of touring or what? You know, what I mean, because it did sell quite a bit. Like, what are the sales figures? Come on, let's give some ads. Sales figures. Let's give some sales figures here, okay? Let's give some sales figures here, just between you and me. Just whisper in my ear. What, what are some sales figures there, Jordan of Propaganda? Well, what kind of sales figures? No, I'm just curious. Like your first album, what do you think? Album. Hundred and five thousand. Eat that. That is pretty damn good, considering SNFU shipped seventy thousand for Epitaph. For, uh, but that was shipped. Who knows the name of sell? But I mean, I mean, I mean, I initially they probably didn't press that many, did they? No, I think it was like five, five thousand. I mean, that's amazing. A hundred thousand records. Like you were probably the biggest Canadian in the. Are you? No, I don't know. Well, like what, probably. Like, what was the indication that things were going to get big? Was there any little indication? Um. Well, Green Day got big. Trickle down economics of the punk scene. But how did you know? Did, did how did you know what's gonna happen? Like, did you know what's gonna happen? Like, how did it happen? Just we fucking played a terrible brand of music that everyone was conditioned to like, and they went and bought the dumb record. So, thanks. Winnipeg and Minneapolis are very well. They're, they're closer. Are like it's one of the bigger Canadian American cities that's closer. Did some of your gigs? Did you play many gigs there in the early days of the propaganda formation? Played twice there, two or three yeah, times. Three times. No, no, a couple house shows and university. How did like how did people like you? Was it pretty crusty there? Was it already more crusty? Like I heard Winnipeg was crusty. No, not really at all. Uh, last time we were in Minneapolis, we played with Tribe Aid actually, and it was sort of a kind of a mixed crowd that night. But how about the Minneapolis people? Like what what about in the beginning? Like did that help out? You know, having the big city because you know, Vancouver, Seattle. Like did did do do? No, had nothing to do with us. Because, Todd, when you sung that Border song, I was thinking, he's thinking about the border in Minneapolis. Yeah, I've uh, many, many times tried to go to Minneapolis. and That's a mean border, isn't it? It is very mean. I've had the lint in my pocket searched. 
Not get through that border is a violation of human rights, not being able to go see a punk show. What type of offers have propaganda turned down? Like, what have you turned down? Because I think it's amazing you're using your music to, um, and, you know, lyrics and stuff to spread messages and get stuff, oh, spread messages. But I mean, you're getting, like, you're, like, I mean, I mean, but like, it's, you, 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 have you turned down anything? Because I would say, like, if a band sells 100,000 records, that they're going to get a lot of offers to, like, to do Warped or something. We got an offer from a guy in Quebec to do some snowboard tour, and that's about the extent of it. We've never been offered anything. Paget for Snow Jam? Yeah, yeah Padge, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you ever will get bigger in Canada at all, Jordan? Of the, oh, sorry, of the rock and roll band propaganda. Do you think you ever get bigger in Canada? Uh, it depends if uh, people finally get tired of that whole beat. It's funny, yeah, they need to have the do 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 don't they? Yeah, I don't know if they need it, but they sure seem to want it for some reason. Have you ever seen bands suffer that you've played with that don't have the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do type beat? Like you've played gigs like, ba you know, bands have backed you up and stuff? Uh, yeah, it depends just on how many people want to hear the... in the crowd for every band that they see every night of their lives. But do you think you can get bigger in Canada because the distribution maybe isn't there? Like, how are you guys distributed in Canada? Because you are essentially an import, aren't you? Like, on Fat Records, you're an import, aren't you? Not really. They have, they have some deal with Cargo, and Cargo deals with all the fucking stores in Canada, whether they're big or small. The I don't know if they're still with Cargo anymore, are they? Uh, well, Cargo's going under some shit, but I'm sure they'll find somebody else to do the same garbage job. But in the States is the only place where we have lack of distribution because we don't use the majors. And the majors use the chain stores there, so we're in the mom pa stores, not the chain stores. But don't you think in Canada, by not having a domestic release, you're an import? Like they have to, the, you know, the records are made somewhere else and they're shipped here, and then they get marked up a bit more than maybe they would be. Yeah, HMV is going to mark up any fucking record they get three million percent, so it doesn't really make a difference. Where is propaganda bombed? Where have they bombed? You saw you didn't. Why did you think Anywhere. you? Where do you think you bombed in Vancouver? Oh, I don't know. We just where haven't we bombed? Is the question. Well, is this usually Chris's attitude at all, Jordan? I'm a bit, uh, you know, in, in curious here. Well, this is the only time I've ever seen him talk like this. <laughs> well, have you done gigs where it hasn't gone as good where you thought it would go as good? I mean, you know, those pre-checked out, you know, like the college charts are on the top and you go into town, you have a wrapped on your finger. And it, like, where have you, is there, do you have any memorable bad shows? If every show's bad, but I mean, especially bad shows. Just ones that, or, you know, not, not that didn't work properly. Any show that we've ever done in Southern California, except for San Diego. Any show? Any show. Southern California sucks. It's terrible. But all those people that I saw in Poway, California, going propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. All those kids. I mean, they, they, they. How could it suck if there's? They like it so much. And they're. And I'm going in Portland, and they like it too. I mean, they, not that I. You know, where I travel, I find out. But I am on a propaganda quest, always asking people. I mean, why, Chris, propaganda? I don't know. We just we get hooked up with the wrong people. They do crap shows, and we show up and we play crappy. And the crowd that shows up is a bunch of guys flashing gang signs, and everyone's fighting each other, and then we leave. But the pro popularity of the band still holds there, doesn't it? Like, are you going to be like the Beatles recording project? I would, I would like to be myself. I'd like to be a recording project. So do you have any idea, any idea why, like, the kids in California hate it? Like, why do they hate it? Like, in Vancouver, there wasn't much heckling at all. You said heckle. Nobody was heckling, were they? I think over the years, there's become this terrible habit or, or trend towards shows being really polite and everyone's scared to act out of hand or act obnoxious. And it's uh, just a really sedate, boring atmosphere. So shouldn't you enjoy playing to people that hate it then? Like if the shows go terrible, like, you know, Sex Pistols at those tours, you know, in Texas, shouldn't you enjoy that? 
I don't. I didn't say don't enjoy those. I say they went they went terrible or they or we bombed. Sometimes I like the shows where the weirdest shit happens, like the Gilman show where it was a near riot. That was interesting, where we were kind of attacked by the crowd. I like that. What after was what was the ins after the gig you were attacked? Well, no, after after we escape the town and we can look back in the rearview mirror and no one's following us, then we're like, yeah, hey, that was funny. Well, how were you attacked? What happened there? Like, what was the inciting incident of that show? Uh, I guess the inciting incident was some uh, bonehead MTV guy, uh, VJ or something, mentioning Gilman as being the growing grounds for such quality bands such as Rancid and Green Day, and uh, all these people just showed up for a Gilman show, and we happened to be playing that night, and uh, they didn't seem to like some of the things we were mentioning on stage, and we ended up getting covered in gob. Well, did it ever kind of mention anything about what particular song they might have been upset about or what thing? Like, how dare you Canadians mention the word Medicare when you don't have it, you know, or something like that? We just, all we did was the first thing I said was something about uh, animal liberation. And then I remember someone yelling, Canadian faggot, and then getting a big green gob in the, right in my eye. And then it just uh, flowered from there. So the word animal liberation, is that, is that a key word out, out there winding up here with rock and roll and propaganda? If you're in a band and you're singing on stage, what words do you have to watch out that the crowds won't, you know, the crowd might actually attack you for saying on stage? Animal liberation, homosexuality, kill Nazis, and, uh, and uh, I don't know. Manor Farm! What about Man Rock and roll band Manor Farm. They also played on the gig in Sealand Hall with Submission Hole yes, too. they did. And yes. also that band Moral Panic, they're pretty wild, eh? Yeah, I like them. Do you know them? Because they're from your area, aren't they? Why, yes. I grew up... I knew uh, Colin probably when he was merely uh, growing sperm and an egg inside uh, Donna Hall's womb. Well, thank you so much to Rock and Roll Band Propagandy for speaking to me here today. Anything you'd like to add to the people out there in Radioland? Any little information you'd like to give to Chris at Rock and Roll Band Propagandy? Ah, uh, that's Jordan, actually. Jordan, anything you'd like to add to the listeners out there in Radioland? Jordan, uh, Todd, Todd, anything you'd like to add to the listeners out there in Radio Land? No, Jordan, anything I'd like to add, like, about, they'd like to add out there? Hmm, go to Todd and I'll think about something. Todd, can you make that dog yelp? There's a dog there right beside you, just for the mic. Can you, like, can you, like, make the dog yelp? Oh, we have Jen, Jen, are you still here? Jen, come, Jen, come for, no, Jen, 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 oh, this, oh, oh, what's going, describe what's happening here. Uh, there's some, uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Hey Jen. <laughs> what um? What happened? What happened there, Chris? Uh, well, I guess we flashed the international dog sign for "I'm gonna stick my finger in your ass," and the dog went nuts. <laughs> and Jen had so yeah, Jen had that little sign, and it dove for the mic. The actual dog dove for the mic. Well, thank you so much, Propagandy. Keep on rocking the free world, and do 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 loot do. Bow bow.
for the master race. My brown power ass in your white power face. Kill them all and let a North Scott sort them out. Stop consuming animals. I see the sun when it's red to ignite. A border of which we reason and sanity. I consider it a measure of my humanity to be written off by the living grains of a billion murders. You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there an interview with Propagandi from September 12th, 1997. Right now, going to play a whole bunch of other music relating to Propagandi. As I mentioned, played a bit of Dangerously Americanized Canadians from 1987 from Winnipeg, Alberta, before we played the Propagandi interview. And right now, going to play some other stuff relating to Winnipeg and Canada. Going to play Satan and the D-Men from Winnipeg. 1966 with Shill Lai. Then, gonna kick into the Famines, brand new from Montreal, Quebec, originally from Edmonton, Alberta. Thank you so much, Raymond, for sending me your paper LP. They have a paper LP, a sheet of paper. That's the LP. We're gonna hear the Famines with Too Cool. And then we're gonna hear, thank you, Emmett, from Toronto, Ontario, Total Love with I don't want to work. Thank you for sending that to me, Emmett, from Toronto, Ontario, and Total Love are from Toronto, Ontario. So here's Satan and Demon, July 1966, Winnipeg, Manitoba, The Famines, brand new, Montreal, Quebec, 2015, and then Total Love, I don't want to work, Emmett. Thank you for sending it to me. And you're from Toronto, Ontario, and it's from 2015. On the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You can tweet me at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, or you can also phone in. Anybody want to phone in? 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. We can put you on the air. We can take your requests. And make sure you let the phone ring a whole bunch of times because we have a brand new studio we're working on here trying to figure out how everything works on CITR radio. Here's Satan and the D-Men.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio and the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Total Love with I Don't Want to Work from Toronto, Ontario. Before that, The Famines from their paper LP, we heard Too Cool. And before that, 1966, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Satan, and the D-Men. In honor of Propagandi, who I did an interview with before, from September 12th, 1997. That's what you heard. Right now, on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, going to play something from the Skate Town USA motion picture soundtrack, featuring a whole bunch of bands, including... John Sebastian. We're going to hear Roller Girl from the Skate Town USA, an amazing movie that when it came out was just when disco was stopping. So as a result, maybe didn't become as big as it should be, the movie. However, it captured disco and roller skating, a roller disco experience, totally accurately, including on the soundtrack. So here's John Sebastian with Roller Girl from the Skate Town USA soundtrack. And right after that, going to follow it up with Spock. Yes, Whales Alive, narration by Spock. It's Spock narrating a whole bunch of whale sounds. So here's Spock doing some whale sounds. And these whale sounds, as Spock says, the pioneering work done by Roger Payne, recording the voices of whales, and by Paul Winter, weaving whale songs into music, as well as the efforts of many environmental organizations, brought whales into my consciousness. There is an amazing majesty in these creatures, a gentleness in presence of great power, and a wonderful mystery that may be intended to be forever unresolved. Spock. So we're going to hear a bit of Spock, as much as we can, Spock narrating some whales and some whale sounds, and Skate Town USA by your buddy and mine, John Sebastian.
It was a cloudy, sultry afternoon. The seamen were lazily lounging about the decks or vacantly gazing over into the lead-colored waters. Queequeg and I were mildly employed weaving what is called a sword mat for an additional lashing to our boat. So still and subdued, and yet somehow preluding was all the scene. And such an incantation of reverie lurked in the air that each silent sailor seemed resolved into his own invisible self. Thus we were, weaving and weaving away when I started, at a sound so strange, long-drawn and musically wild and unearthly. I stood, gazing up at the clouds whence that voice dropped like a wing. High aloft in the cross trees was that mad Tashtego. As he stood, hovering over you, half suspended in the air, so wildly and eagerly peering towards the horizon, you would have thought him some prophet or seer beholding the shadows of fate and by those wild cries announcing their coming. There she blows. There. 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 She blows. She blows. numbers of switches that are contained in the chips. And like electric light switches, they can only be turned on or off. And a number system is used to operate these switches. Communication in the system is known as using the machine language. In the early days, when computers were young, this was the only way to talk with the computer. And it's still used today by many programmers because it is fast. A good example of machine language in action is the arcade-type games that are so popular. Mm, and you know how fast they are. Yes. However, there's more to it than that, Steve. Because machine language is quite difficult, and certainly not for everyone, machine language translators were developed. These use English words which are then translated by the computer into the machine language which operates the switches. This translation process slows down computer processing a wee bit. However, when we speak of functioning times in millionths of a second, this will not be a problem for most uses. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, Jane. These fractions of a second do add up to uh, whatever after a while. <laughs> but don't worry, folks. 
One of the earliest translating languages is called Fortran, F-O-R-T-R-A-N, a language in major use in the fields of science and engineering. Mm -hmm. For business applications, a language called COBOL is used. A relatively new language called Logo is being used to teach young children the concepts of computer programming through graphic techniques. In the early 1970s, a language was developed, I think this is fascinating, which is both easy to learn and useful over a wide range of applications. And that language, called BASIC, right. is the communication system that's built into all personal computers. Uh -huh. And BASIC is considered to be the universal computer language. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about BASIC is that it uses common English words. Now, some of these words might have the same meanings in computer usage as they do in spoken language, but others will have an entirely different connotation. Beginners in programming frequently confuse the two languages, which thoroughly confuses the computer, resulting in errors. To illustrate the use of this language, let's try a basic word, print. It's used for several important purposes. Okay, turn on the computer, would you, Jane? All right. There we go, the word ready has flashed on. So I'll type in the word print. Then I'll type in quotation marks and a word like uh, hello and more quotation marks. And now I must press the enter key, otherwise nothing will happen. This key has two functions. It transmits the information displayed from the computer's memory section to the processor and also returns the cursor to the beginning of a new line. Now, remember, the enter key must be pushed in in order to put any information into the computer. If you try this procedure on a computer, or simulate it using the keyboard in the booklet, you'll find that the display shows a reprinting of what was enclosed in quotation marks, as shown in figure 10. You can order the computer to print anything exactly as it appears in quotes. A second use for print is a mathematical function. If we enter print, followed by an arithmetic problem, the computer will solve the problem and display the solution. Wow. Wish I'd had that when I was in school. <laughs> For example, try typing print, followed by 2 plus 3, without quotation marks, and press enter. And the expected answer, 5, will appear. Now let's try some more arithmetic problems. Subtraction uses the familiar minus sign, but division uses the slash, and multiplication is accomplished by pushing the asterisk. See figure 11. Yeah, and you know, it probably seems silly to use a computer to add 2 plus 3, but not when you realize that a computer can compute similarly higher mathematics all the way up to calculus. All right. Now that you've come this far, perhaps you're ready for something a little more difficult. In using a computer, generally more than one instruction is needed. To compute using more than one instruction or statement, a program is needed. A computer program is defined as a series or list of instructions, statements, or steps. Each step is numbered, but the numbers begin with 10 and increase by 10s. Why? Because that allows room to insert missing steps. Oh, I see. Uh, by analogy, Consider a program for, let's say, baking a cake. Mm -hmm. This would be a series of instructions, each on a separate line and each line numbered. See figure 12. All right. Now let's develop a real computer program. This is to be a program to not only solve an arithmetic problem, but to display the problem as well. It requires more than one computer instruction. We begin by typing the number 10. You'll notice that on the computer, zeros are slashed 
to differentiate them from the letter O. Now, immediately after the number 10, type an arithmetical problem. For example, again, let's say 2 plus 3. Note that since this line is an instruction only to display the problem, you must be sure to enclose the problem in quotation marks. Therefore, you should have typed in 10, quote, 2 plus 3, end quote, and press the Enter key. The cursor goes back to the beginning of the next line, and you're now ready for line 20. This will be the instruction for the computer to solve the problem. And this time, the line will be presented as print, followed by the problem, without quotation marks, so that the computer can solve the problem. Now we type in and enter 20, print, 2 plus 3. The last line of the program is an end statement. Type 30, end, and press enter. There you are. Program's finished. Mm -hmm. See figure 13. And now we must check to be sure that the program is correct. So type the word list without a line number and press enter. This will result in a display of the program as it's in the computer's memory. See figure 14. Lastly, we want to do the most important thing, and that is to run the program. So type the command run, again without a line number, and press enter. In running the program, the computer follows each line's instructions exactly. We get the problem displayed on one line and solved on the next line. See figure 15. You have now completed your first computer program. Yay. <laughs> if you had made a programming error, the computer would not run the program. Instead, it would display a message informing you of the type of error and the line in which it occurs. For example, if you had typed print with an M instead of an N, the computer would display the message syntax error. You could then make the necessary corrections. See figure 16. Well, now that you've followed us this far, you're ready for the next step. Mm -hmm. And that is, computer programs that do calculations use letters in place of numbers for ease of manipulation. And these letters are called variables. Variables. Uh-huh. For example, type in A equals 3 and press Enter. Then type in print A and press Enter. The computer would then print the value of A or the number 3, not the letter A. See figure 17. Okay, let's develop a program using variables. But first, if there's already a program in the computer's memory, you must type and enter the word new, N-E-W, new, which erases the contents of the computer's memory. If you want to clear the screen, press the clear button, which erases everything on the screen. To begin this new variables program, type line 10A equals 3. The next line is 20, B equals 4. Line 30 is print A plus B. Line 40 is end. But, Steve, you must remember to press the Enter key after each line. Correct. List the program to check it, then type Run. The computer adds the values of A and B and prints the result, 7. As you can see, this program illustrates how variables can be used in place of numbers. See figure 18. Now let's develop a more sophisticated program. Again, using variables, but this time with a new and quite useful command called 
input. Now, this is to be a program to convert the familiar Fahrenheit temperatures to the corresponding but less familiar Celsius or centigrade temperature scale. In using this program, you will be asked for the Fahrenheit temperature you want to be converted. The computer will then immediately display the corresponding Celsius temperature. Yes, see figure 19. To start the program, type line number 10, print, followed by the phrase, what Fahrenheit temperature do you want converted? Of course, in quotation marks. Line 20 is set up to respond to this question with the input statement. Type line 20, followed by input F, which stands for the Fahrenheit temperature you want converted. This temperature is entered when the program is run. Line 30 is the conversion formula, which is C equals F minus 32, enclosed in parentheses, followed by an asterisk. Then 5 slash 9. Now we'll use the variable C in printing out the Celsius temperature. We enter line 40, print, quote, Celsius equals, close quote, followed by the letter C. Enter line 50, end. List the program to check for errors. See mm -hmm. figure 20. Mm -hmm. Now, type run. In response to the question that appears on the screen, enter the Fahrenheit temperature that you want converted. The computer does the necessary calculations and immediately prints the corresponding Celsius temperature. This program can be run over and over for as many temperature conversions as you want. See figure 21. Well, perhaps you now can see that this program can fairly easily be revised to convert miles to kilometers or inches to centimeters. Mm -hmm. The general formats for these programs are basically similar, requiring simple revisions. As you can see, the possibilities for problem solving are virtually unlimited. Yes, and we suggest that you go through the development of these programs using the instruction booklet. Follow the script while referring to the illustrations, and this will help to clarify the concepts we've presented. You're limited only by your programming expertise and imagination in having the computer do endless wondrous things with numbers or text material. The computer has the ability to manipulate letters and words in many incredible ways, as in word processing, for example. It's a popular misconception that you have to be a math wizard to program a computer. Nothing could be further from the truth. You could spend a lifetime writing programs and not once need or use mathematics. Exactly. And don't forget that a large percentage of computer owners know nothing about programming, yet they find endless hours of enjoyment in the use of their computers through commercial programs. However, having a knowledge of programming will enable you to do anything from modifying existing software for your own specific needs to writing completely original programs. And the pleasure and satisfaction in these accomplishments is enormous. Enormous. Well, there you have it. A brief introduction to the inner workings of a computer. Its simplicity of operation, its ease of programming, and its wide range of application. So come on board. We're ready to take off into the new computer age that's going to blast us into a future that's limited only by our minds and our imaginations.
boys. We're finally out at sea again, with all our ties to land cast off. The last of it went under with the sun. The night surrounds us now, the sails softly pulling. The others lie asleep below. Only the stars appear to keep me company on this mute and vacant sea. Though all is featureless and bare, when last I checked the chart, it showed that near at hand lie unseen, unnamed ocean glades where humpback whales glide and sing. All at their majestic glacial pace, great, gentle cloud-like beings drifting with currents too slow to sense. As we approach their range, our boat bows and curtsies in graceful, mazy arcs. I lean my back against the helm and watch the mast sweeping across vast fields of stars. Infinite landlessness. I would not trade this hour for anything I know. Rock me gently, ocean. I'm coming home. A long, dark wire winds and coils down through the midnight ship to a listening point beneath the keel. Up, out of the dark waters pour wild arias, cantatas, magnificats, recitatives and requiems whose boiling echoes are tumbling and cascading around the cathedral vaults of the sea. A mad welter of resonance. A seething, irrepressible contrabass, mezzo, soprano, falsetto of whale song. The wildest, most joyous music of all. All night long we are borne along by that music. The watches rotate and shift. Each lone helmsman takes his turn, and each by dawn is changed forever.
listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show, we hope. You just heard right there, Joe Naylor again with I Hate Fluorescent Lights from 1980 and the B-side of I'm Canadian Beer on Friends Hot Wax out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And thank you, Joe Naylor, again for this LP, 7-inch actually, 7-inch 45, rare 7-inch 45 that you gave to me a couple weeks ago. And before that, we heard a little bit of Spock talking about the whales. And before that, a record, an instructional record for all you computer people out there, computer nerds, the name of the record, everything you always wanted to know about, computers, an easy-to-follow instruction for family and small business, includes a 16-page illustrated instruction booklet. Sorry, none of you people had the instruction booklet to follow along with as we played the record, but hopefully it inspired you to learn Fortran and to get more heavily into BASIC. And we heard home computers, everything you always wanted to know about. Also in there from the 
Skate Town USA. I want to say Roller Skate. In the Skate Town USA soundtrack, we heard Roller Girl performed by John Sebastian. Winding up to end the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show here, have something for you, again, for self-improvement. How to remember names and faces. Your golden key to greater success by William D. Hersey. Here we go on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Okay, let's meet our friend in number four. He has a very smiley face, smiley lines going back to a rather distinctive ear. His name is Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. If you have pictured him with a pair of mule's ears tied on by those smiley lines, I'm sure you won't forget it. If he ever came into your house wearing a pair of mule's ears, you wouldn't forget it. So carry on a little conversation with Mr. Mueller and speak to him about those mule's ears and perhaps where he got the name and why he doesn't pronounce it Muller. And you will tack it away in your imagination so that you won't forget it. Are you doing it? Why not? I'll wait for you. Now look at picture number five. This man's name is Tulipani. T-U-L-I-P-A-N-I. Just like Tulip and Annie. Now, when we're talking about his face, I perhaps settled on the cleft or scar on his chin. So I'd be inclined to plant a tulip, preferably a bright red tulip, in that cleft and see it growing right out of there. Then I carry on a little conversation with him along the lines of how every time he meets a girl named Annie, he gives her a tulip, picks it right out of that cleft, something like that. The crazier, the better, you know. This does remind you, I'm sure, of those signs that say, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Well, this isn't a question of being crazy, but it's just a question of being willing to use that wonderful imagination you have to tack things away so vividly that you'll be able to pick them up whenever you want to. Here's another trick I use sometimes. I make a picture like this, and then I say, now I must remember to tell my wife that today I met a man walking down the street with a red tulip growing right out of his chin. Doing this, I make it more real to myself. And if you really believe it happened, you never will forget it. Let's go along to our large-mouthed friend in number six. His name is Lipsky. L-I-P-S. K-Y. If he actually walked into your living room holding a ski between those big lips, you'd never forget that his name was Lipsky. So let your imagination make believe that it really happened. Now carry on that conversation with him to further identify him, to further intensify that association in your own mind. Talk to him about why he carries skis in his lips. Ridiculous? Yes. Does it work? Of course. Have you done it? Why not? Number seven is Rogers. R-O-G-E-R-S. I don't know what picture Rogers suggests to you. To me, I use the Jolly Roger of the old pirate flags. Be careful with the spelling of this name, because just the other day I met somebody whose name was Odgers. O-D-G-E-R-S. 
and I assumed that I was hearing Rogers the wrong way until I had it spelled. Perhaps you have no picture which comes to mind for Rogers. Here's something that we can illustrate right at this point. Imagine that you took a lipstick, a big, soft, red lipstick, and starting right over there at your left-hand side of the picture, printed his name across his forehead in big red letters. I'm willing to bet that when you met Rogers again, you would remember that you printed R-O-G-E-R-S right across there in vivid lipstick. This is a device, or a trick if you want to call it, that you can use to make a picture of a name when you don't seem to have any other picture. When all else fails, when you run into a name that doesn't seem to bring up any picture, use the lipstick. Now carry on the conversation with Rogers. Talk about that print job that you just did on his forehead. Have you done it? Then you're ready to meet our friend at number eight, the man with a big nose, and his name is Goldstein. G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. Can you imagine a golden stein sitting on top of that nose? And that golden stein is so big that you have to support it with guy wires made up of those character lines to keep it from falling off his nose? If you do that, and if you talk to him about it, go ahead, use his name three times, You'll not forget Goldstein when you see that big nose and those double character lines. The girl in number nine has a very usual name, a very common name. It is Smith, S-M-I-T-H. And your first impression is to say, oh, I can remember that, that's so easy and so common. Believe me, you can trick yourself here. What can you do with the word Smith? Well, I've gened up a couple of symbols that I use. One is a little anvil, and the other is kind of a little rugged pair of arms, like the arms you see on the arm and hammer baking soda package. So I put that into the picture somewhere. I picked her rather slanty eyes as distinctive characteristics, and perhaps I'm going to put a little anvil under each one and hammer it down to make them come out level. I've never seen a woman blacksmith, but when I was in school, we had a girl in our class who was so rugged that we called her the little blacksmith. So if you want to make Miss Smith a little blacksmith, dress her up in blacksmith's clothing, you may well remember Smith, the most common name in the telephone book. Then talk to her along these lines. Miss Smith, I suppose you run into many, many comments on your name. Then let her tell you what they are. You may come up with something which will make it absolutely unforgettable. I'm sure right now you've done enough with Miss Smith so that you'll never forget her. The man in number 10 has a very interesting variation of a name. His name is Stringy, S-T-R-I-N-G-I. Now, you'd think of it as stringy, but you must remember that it is stringy, as in stringent. He's very fussy about it. We remark that he has heavy eyebrows, heavy lines in his forehead, and rather coarse hair. Suppose that we put strings in that hair, make it stringy hair and somewhere put a nice big G in with those character lines so that you'll remember to call him Stringy, not Stringy. Now, any person with a name like this is running into enough trouble with it so that you may say to him, well, that's a very interesting name. Never tell him it's a funny name. It's a very interesting name. Tell me, what is its origin? Do you have many people make puns on it? And so forth. He will tell you enough so that you will have plenty of other information to associate Stringy with this particular face. 
but for the time being you must depend upon visual association and the repetition of that little but purposeful conversation using his name three times. Number 11 is a man named Davis. D-A-V-I-S. A man with a high forehead and a blemish on his nose and rather large ears. What can you use for a picture to symbolize the word Davis? Some people use the Davis cup or a loving cup. And you might well imagine that this big ear is an ear on a loving cup or that the blemish is a blemish on the loving cup. After all, if you actually met the man and he had an ear made out of part of a loving cup, you wouldn't forget it. I sometimes use davits, D-A-V-I-T-T-S, the davits on lifeboats on ships, and use them as a symbol for Davis. Whatever appeals to you, you use it. It's your imagination. You're going to remember this face and this name in accordance with your imagination and your past experience. If you can carry on a conversation, use his name three times, and then remember his name, I won't argue with success. This brings us to our twelfth picture, the man with the mustache. His name is Churchill. That's right, just like Winston Churchill. C-H-U-R-C-H-I-L-L. Here's a man with a famous name. Perhaps the easiest thing to do is to make an association between the characteristics of his face and the famous person, such as Sir Winston Churchill. If you actually saw Sir Winston Churchill taking his big black cigar and making a picture of this man on the wall with the bushy eyebrows and a big mustache with the ashes from the cigar, you'd remember it, wouldn't you? If Sir Winston Churchill ever made such a picture for you personally and signed it Churchill, you'd never forget it. That would become a family heirloom. Now that's what you do with famous people, but put them in the picture violently or ridiculously. Pictorially have them doing something to this outstanding characteristic so that when you see it, you think Churchill or Eisenhower or whatever the name may be. You can also do this when there's somebody whom you always think of when you hear a certain name. It may be an old friend or it may be the first person you ever met by that name. But if it's what I call a standard reference for you, you can always use it when you meet another person by the same name. Perhaps you'll do that with Hershey bars. You've now met 12 people. You've observed their faces. You've observed their names. You've associated the name with the face. Or perhaps to remind you more specifically, you have associated the picture which represents the name with the picture which is the face. I want you to pick up the jacket and go back to the first picture. See if you can associate the name with the face for each picture. I'm sure that you found as you went over these pictures that you remembered most of the names and faces. And in any case where you have not remembered the name, ask yourself if you've really made a good picture of it. Have you put that picture which is the name in touch with the characteristic that is the face closely, perhaps made it move or exaggerated it, really exaggerated it, made it really ridiculous? I'm sure that if you look back on the ones that you may have missed, you'll find that it's perhaps the point you've been a little weak on. So continue to practice. Practice with pictures in newspapers. As you go through a newspaper or a news magazine and see cuts of individual pictures, look at the face first without paying any attention to the name. Decide on the outstanding characteristic of that face. Look at the name as a separate step. Then put the two pictures together, the picture representing the name and the picture representing the exaggerated feature of the face. Later on, you can go through the magazine, and just by keeping your eyes above the cut line, you can see how well you remember these names and faces.
I want to give you a few pointers on how to remember what I call the colorful names. Brown, black, green, white, and even blue. In these cases, it's easy to think, well, green, that's easy, but you mustn't do that. You must make something about the person green. For instance, if you ever met a man with green eyebrows, you'd never forget him, would you? If you ever met a person with real black teeth, you'd never forget it, would you? So make something about them which is naturally another color, unnatural, such as the black teeth, the green eyebrows, and so forth. Here's another thing that will be of tremendous value to you. It will sharpen your ability to observe people closely. It will make you much more aware of the distinctive differences between faces. On Monday, practice looking only for big mouths. You'll find that if you start looking for big mouths on Monday, you'll see all sorts of mouths. You'll see hard mouths, grim mouths. You'll see mouths turned down at the corners. You'll see mouths turned up at the corners. You'll find sensuous mouths. You'll find little mouths exaggerated with lipstick. It'll be a very interesting exercise, but the profitable result will be that you will notice mouths from that day on. On Tuesday, start looking at eyes. You'll be surprised how many different types of eyes there are. We usually think that there are straight eyes and slant eyes, blue eyes or brown eyes. But there are lots of different eyes. There are actually round eyes. There are almost square eyes. There are triangular eyes. So just look at eyes. Look for baggy eyes. And as you look for a particular thing, you'll notice all the other types. On Wednesday, look at ears. As I said earlier, the ear is a rather reliable form of identification. So look for a cauliflower ear particularly. There aren't many of them left. But if you're looking for a cauliflower ear, you'll see the shell-shaped ear, you'll see the heavy ear, the triangular ear, all sorts of ears. And whatever you think it is, that's what it is. If you think of it as heavy, it is heavy. If you think of it as a shell-shaped ear, it is shell-shaped. Don't worry about what somebody else may think. You're trying to learn to sharpen your own observation of these things. On Thursday, look at people's hair, and you'll find that there is coarse hair, fine hair, oh, an infinite variety of hair. You may even come across a few wigs. But if you're looking at hair, you will quickly decide in your own mind what to call different styles of hairdos, and at what point you call a man's hair, for instance, receding, or at what point you will classify him as bald-headed. On Friday, look for big noses. You'll see a great variety of noses. Pug nose, banana-shaped nose, ski-shaped nose, hump nose. It doesn't make any difference what it is. May I repeat that if banana is more descriptive to you than concave, use it because that is the picture you will retain. Saturday, you can take the day off. But on Sunday, I want you to learn to associate five names with five faces. Perhaps they are people you've seen before but are never quite sure of. Well, ask somebody who they are. Ask the usher at church. Ask the pro at the golf club. But find out who they are and make that association. Then use the names, and as you do this, I'm sure that you will quickly become the most popular person at your church, your synagogue, or your golf club. How about remembering groups of people? Oftentimes I've met a hundred people at luncheon, and I've remembered their names and faces. People will go away saying, you know, he just went around and he shook hands with everybody and he remembered them. Well, that's slightly exaggerated, believe me. What you really do is to meet four or five individuals at a time. 
Don't let anybody rush you. Meet them just as you met these people on the jacket and do the same thing. Go through those steps. Get the name correctly. Use it, at least mentally, in a conversation. Make a picture of the name and associate it pictorially with the face. And then look back over. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. We hope with special guest. Richard Murray. Who are you, Richard? Please explain. And what are we hearing right now on air? What did we just hear? You uh, brought in a record or did you? Well, this is yours, Nardwar. I'm not going to take credit for this classic. No, please take credit for it. <laughs> Your golden key to greater success. William D. Hersey's How to Remember Names and... Uh, uh, faces and faces. How are you enjoying that one versus the computer record we heard earlier, oh, Richard? And this, who are you, Richard, by the way? This has nothing on the home computer record. That, that's a golden age classic, that one. Uh, I, I provide services for Nardbar.com's website, which is usually up. <laughs> right now it's down. Bah, boom. Also, also, do-do-loot-do-do-do.com. And you're in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Richard, here visiting. First time in a little while. Yeah, I've been away for about a decade. And you're staying at a really cool hotel downtown on Pender. I can't pronounce the name of it. I think it's Squatchies. It's a native-themed native, native themed, uh, hotel. It was cool, and you even have, like... It has a neat sort of like shampoo things written on it, right? <laughs> what was that that you were showing? Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about, actually. Neat shampoo things. You have like, it was, I don't know, there were neat items associated with hotel. You had a picture of some of the stuff in the hotel. Oh, yeah. the the It's very themed. All the art is native art, local native art. And now that you're back in Vancouver, after being in Toronto, you decided to experience some Vancouver music. <laughs> and so to end an Ardwarda Human Servant radio show, you have a special choice that is not what I've been playing so far in an Ardwarda <laughs> Human Servant radio show. How did you enjoy Spock? Spock was uh, surprisingly rocking. The drum beats. That surprised you, didn't it? Like, it's a whale record, but there were drum. That really threw you off kind of a bit, didn't it? I, I, I'm a big fan of the Bilbo Baggins theme, so... The whale theme was a, was a bit of a shock for me. And lately, you said, even though you're in Toronto, you've been listening to a lot of Vancouver music? Yeah. Um, well, being from here, the 77 music, the modernettes, the pointed sticks, the skulls. It's on a continuous flow for you when you're in Toronto, just over and over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's one, thing, one of the things I miss about Vancouver. Have you found any Vancouver music out in Toronto? Have you been looking for any original vinyl or anything like that? Uh, every so often I run across something like SNFU, old F SNFU albums. Uh, I did see a Pointed Sticks album show up at uh, one, of the, one of the original pressings at one of the shops locally. What shop? Uh, possibly Sonic Boom. And what do you think about the brand new CITR now that you're here on an Ardwarda Human Serviette radio show ending here with Richard from Toronto who's dropped by the CITR <laughs> studios to deliver and to rescue you listeners from the records that I brought out today? That you enjoyed. You enjoyed some of them. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, well, the home computer one. I'm going to listen to that one later. It's fantastic. What do you think about the entire new CITR studios and a general student union building setup here? For anybody who doesn't know, we're in a brand new studio. We're in a brand new building. What do you think about this experience? It's very shiny. Oh, the sunlight is coming in the front window. It's it's a surprise for anyone who's seen the old CITR 
studio, this is a big surprise. And you can come and join CITR and be part of CITR and do your own radio show and bring your own records out (laughs) and get your friends to bring records out as well. And you have a selection, a Vancouver classic for us that actually was the first song that CITR played in 1987 when CITR went high power. (laughs) That I didn't know. Before CITR was like 50 watts and then they cranked it up to 1800 watts and the first song that played when CITR was high power was? Apparently slows have not been the same. One of your favorites Richard. (laughs) Uh, Nice coincidence yeah. And hasn't really been reissued hopefully will be one day so you got it probably off the last call compilation right? That's where I got a lot of my old old Vancouver music, yeah. Any shout-outs you'd like to give to your wife or child <laughs> at all, Richard? You're not leading at all, but um, sure, to my wife and child who are at the hotel still. In Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Well, thanks so much, Richard. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all about your experiences today watching the Nardwarder Human Serviette radio show? We spent the entire show today trying to figure out the board, how to play <laughs> this one song for you. Yeah, and Nardwar's a man of surprises. And it's going to be worth it, too. It's going to be <laughs> worth it. Because never, you never can play it enough. Slow. From Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with Have Not Been the Same. Well, thanks so much, Richard, for bringing out the tune. And doot do to loot do Doot-doo.